Welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. Merry Christmas, people. How's everybody doing? Merry Christmas, You got all everybody. your presents under the tree? Or are you one of them last-second shoppers that going to be at Walmart on Christmas Eve trying I'm, to fulfill yeah. your tree? That's me. That's me. I'm definitely That's one you? of those last-minute people. <laughs> I'm, like, scrounging around trying to find shit. Because, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to think about who I want to buy for. You know, because as we've gotten older, and I think most families are like this, it's not really discussed anymore. I think some families have traditions where they draw names or it's like, oh, we only buy for the kids or blah, 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 this and that. My family has done all those different types of things. But this year, I guess because everything else is going on, we haven't really discussed it. So people are just buying gifts. So I'm thinking, like, who would buy for me? You know, it's actually a worse position to be in. I was going to say, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I think I'm just not going to buy for anybody. Somebody you don't expect gets you a (laughs) gift and you got nothing in return for them. And just like, okay, well, get you next year, I guess. Yeah. But I'm, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a big holiday person. So I feel like, let's say somebody got me something really cool for Christmas. If I got them something really cool by December 30th, I don't think they're really going to give a fuck. You know what I mean? And and I wouldn't. Let's say if I got, I, I, don't, I don't even expect anything back, obviously, when I give gifts. Um, because usually the gifts that I get for people, I, I saw it, and then I thought of them, and then I'm like, I'm getting yeah. that for so-and-so. So I don't really care too much about the holidays and what that's around and all that stuff and also like like we were talking about before this it breaks you man it breaks you because you're like oh i have to spend all this money within this certain amount of time i mean yeah you could start christmas shopping in summer like a freaking nerd but i mean who does that <laughs> or you know or, or just a you know a, like my mom is one of those types it's like Starts getting crap, you know, basically right after Christmas ends. And it's oh, like my God. No. It's like I'm, I've been done for months. I mean, in a way, it's like, oh. sounds like bliss because it's like shit. Yeah. Already by the time the holiday comes. But oh, dude, in no, another I sense, I, real, I realize that realistically, that's never going to happen for me. No, that sounds like torture to me. If I got something for somebody, I want to give it to them because I'm, I'm ready to reap that blessing of giving it to them. You know what I'm saying? I want to yeah. I want to see their face. I want to see them light up. And a lot of times Oh yeah, you're right on that, dude. It's hard enough for me to hold on to a gift yeah. I got somebody for like 2 weeks, let alone like 6 months having it sitting oh there. I just God. end up giving it to them. They're like, "Oh, it's yeah. Easter. Here you go." <laughs> right? <laughs> When's your birthday? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're just like, like looking for a reason. Um, I don't know. I I've just never been I've never been a huge holiday person. So I don't I don't put a whole lot of stock in like, "Oh, we got to get gifts by Christmas or you know, I want to receive my gifts by Christmas or something like that. I've never, I've never really been been that into it. I didn't even really understand it as a kid. I remember being a kid and holidays. We'd wake up and holidays would be happening, and I'd be like, "When is life going to go back to normal?" I'm like, "When is all this going to go back I, to normal?" I couldn't disagree with you more. I'm the I'm the yeah, holiday guy. I, I know it. I'm I a weirdo, but that's just how I've always been. I was a kid that never didn't really want to go trick or treating. I was made to go trick or treating as a kid as a little kid. And then when I got old enough and got into baseball, then the world series was always on during, you know, during the end of October. So I'm like, nah, you guys go ahead. I'm just gonna watch the world series. And, um, <laughs> I just not a holiday person, bro. I don't know what to tell you. I try to enjoy every day. So I think holidays distract from that because I'm like, oh, now we got, now everybody's doing this. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just me being a contrarian from a small child. I can't help it. I don't know. What yeah, because you're, you're by saying that you're insinuating the rest of us don't enjoy every day. We're just waiting, counting days, mm-hmm. like back in January until yeah. Christmas, like it's Whoville. Obviously, I'm obviously that's not what I mean, but I'm just saying I just <laughs> I know, I'm just um, with you. I don't know. I look to I look at every day as an open slate. Let me put it to you that way. 
And then when you have holidays mixed in, that that day is like marked off the calendar. It's like, no, 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 we can't do that. It's Christmas. And I'm like, ah, fucking Christmas. <laughs> Christmas always cock blocking. Seriously. Christmas. <laughs> fucking Easter. What is this? No. <laughs> I sound like the worst. Easter is pretty silly, if we're being honest, especially if you're not religious. It's if you're not silly. religious, it's like, what are we doing here with the whole eggs yeah, and shit? F- and fucking hiding eggs and shit. Yeah. 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 All right. right. Well, we got Scam Artist series continuing. It's back, part three. I feel like we could continue this series. It's like for eternity. Just bring it back around, like once every three months. Be like, hey, we got another one. Yeah, we got another scam artist here. Yeah, we could. Kind of like we're doing with the freeloader series. We release one whenever the hell we want. Yeah, we could do that with the. uh, Yeah, whenever we need like kind of a palate cleanser, if you will, from. You know, true crime from the brutal murder and all that. Yeah. We just break out a, a scam artist. It is nice to go into a case knowing that I could make fun of anyone in this case and no one will get offended. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Right? <laughs> Not that I want yeah, this to. Case Not that I want to make fun that. of victims. I'm just saying. Um, but this case is is um, not a victimless crime per se. Not a victimless crime, but but kind of close uh, the to The insurance it. companies got got for a bit. Yeah, I think it's though. victimless because in the end... They got their money back anyway, so that's right. Yeah, it is. But this is a wild ride, and there's yeah, there's definitely some stuff to make fun of. We, this case is the canoe man, the canoe and, man. And uh, if that's not a funny enough title for you, then <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Just leave now. Right, just get out of here. This is the case of the canoe man, and we'll see you on the other side. Let's do it. Okay. And and what did you do? I took the canoe out. Um. Paddled out to sea and... So you did actually physically paddle out to sea? Yes. And where did you paddle to? South. North. I, I, I can't remember what you call it. North Gare or something. Okay then, so you pulled in at the pier and did what? Did you have a car waiting? Or... Well, basically, I... I had... Made my wife, or basically told her that you know if we were doing things, then she had to agree, and she picked me up. Did she? From the pier. And what did you do with the canoe? Just let it push it back out to sea, or? No, I just pushed it out to sea. Canoe man. Now you dead, what you gonna do, man? You know they coming for you and it. Why don't you row on back to your homeland? Canoe man, canoe man. Now you dead, what you gonna do, man? You know they coming for you and it. Why don't you row on back to your homeland? Canoe man. The canoe man, emphasis on the new man All this part of my plan Laid them for a few hundred grand Cause my toes belong in the sand With my boo in Panama Till that motherfucker had a camera And he put our picture on his website Just when things were going right Wish I was still the canoe man Throw off into the night I'd row off into the night Canoe man Now you dead, what you gonna do man? You know they coming for you and it. Why don't you row on back to your homeland? Canoe man, canoe man. Now you dead, what you gonna do, man? You know they coming 
know you winning Why don't you row on back to your homeland Canoe man case this week for part three of the scam artist series is a guy by the name of john darwin john darwin is the canoe man if you're wondering he is spoiler alert <laughs> he did something that maybe all of us at one point would like to do i guess what fa- take our own death Ooh, it depends it depends i haven't wanted to yet um like who knows who knows what kind of shit you might get into or if you just want to start over wasn't it Huckleberry Finn that uh, uh, like witnessed his own funeral or like busted in on it or something, faked his death, and then I'd, I'd, I'd be, I don't know. In a, in a fantasy world, it sounds kind of fun to like yeah. observe your own funeral, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a there's a conspiracy theory that Jesse James did that as well. Apparently, oh, he showed sure. up in like disguise and sang at his own funeral. We got to do that bullshit. case. We got to do that one. We had so much yeah. fun with Billy the Kid. We really do need to do Jesse James because I want to hear what you think about the end and about if is he dead or is he not? Because have you listened to that that sh- the strange short I did on uh, Sandu about uh, Jesse James possibly still being alive or not not alive now, obviously, but alive in 1948, f- almost 50 years after he was supposedly died. No, I didn't hear it. Holy shit! Yeah, dude, I have this newspaper article. It's actually framed and hanging on my wall. And it says, uh, Jesse James is alive in Lawton. And it's a newspaper from Lawton, Oklahoma, uh, Wednesday, May 19th, 1948. And it's this whole article. He's the front page. Oh, shit. And it's this guy. And, dude, he really fucking looks like Jesse James. And he has, he has like, items that only Jesse James had. He knew all these things that allegedly only Jesse James knew. Um, he talked about how he changed his name and has been living under an alias. So either he's a Wild West creepo stalker that somehow got all this information about. Because, I mean, it's not like he had the internet yeah. back then to just learn, like, exactly everything that he wore. Exactly. And so you'd have to really exactly. scour some – you'd have to talk to people and really And he's the right out. age. He's the right age, no uh, right eye everything. color, everything, mm. bro. It's It's very convincing. Very convincing. Yeah, we'll have to do so. Jesse James' case, uh, maybe the next Patreon episode or something. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, we should. But let's stay let's stay on course here. This isn't just a yeah, banter. For once. We got John Darwin, the <laughs> canoe man, and we're going back to Jolly England for this one, mate. So oh, enjoy right. our terrible accents. All right. Very well. Jolly good. Let's go. So from now on we're gonna do the whole episode like this. Just uh bear with us. All right. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I could never do that. I couldn't do that to myself, let alone you guys. I, I, yeah. The more you talk like it, the more you're like, ah, I don't know many, very many things I can say in this accent. <laughs> yeah, it gets old real quick, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can only so, say mate and crumpet so many times. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> so John Darwin was born on August 14th, 1950 in Hartlepool. I'm sure I already screwed that pronunciation up in County Darrell. No, Hartlepool, Hartlepool, I think is right, actually. Okay. Yeah, I've actually heard that town, Hartlepool, yeah. Uh, in County Durham in England. Um, and he shares a birthday with Mila Kunis, Halle Berry, and Magic Johnson. One hell of a group. Maybe the best group we've wow. ever had. It might be. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, two just stone-cold foxes there, obviously. Mila Kunis, right? I had quite a thing for her after you mentioned that 70s show, of course. But yes. then also when she was in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, man, I like fell in love with her in that movie. That's when I fell in love with that 70s show. God, Jackie! But then also Halle Berry. Man, I had a thing for her, too. <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, Halle Berry's still beautiful. I follow her on Instagram, bro. She'd be putting up some inspirational shit. Yeah. And then you got Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. Magic Johnson. Legendary One basketball player. basketball players. A great, a great, uh, great analyst. commentator as well. Yeah. yeah. He really is. He's a great analyst. He's like the uh, Tony Romo of basketball or something. Like, yeah. A, a little uh, off the cuff. You know? and yeah. He's he's very good. He he has a great understanding of the game. He's very intelligent as well. I'm very charismatic. That helps. Yeah. That helps, you know. Yeah. But. So, John Darwin in college uh, over in England, he studied biology and chemistry. On December 22nd, 1973, he married who would be his longtime wife, Anne Stevenson, and together they had two sons, Mark and Anthony. Um John Darwin would go on to teach science and mathematics for 18 years before leaving to join Barclays a multinational investment bank and financial service company in Britain. So a real big company. Yeah, he, was, he was quite the mathematician. He was very good at math. Yes. Wasn't he? This is, uh, this I think, is almost I think he thought like he could Breaking Bad. I think he thought he could directly correlate his ability to work with numbers in, into wealth, which didn't exactly work out for him. I right. think he thought just because he's so good at you know math, making moving numbers around and stuff like that, he could he could find a way to do the same thing with his bank account, and he was he exactly. was really obsessed with becoming extremely wealthy, um, and I mean he had, I think he he had good, uh, um, like overall intentions. Yeah, well he had a good plan in place. He just was impatient. I think oh, was his biggest yeah. problem. He yeah. wanted to be rich like as soon as possible. You know. Then yeah, again, like I mean yesterday. he went. He, he did, he did work, you know, as a teacher for many years, but it seems like he got to a certain age at retirement and he wasn't where he wanted to be and he tried to force his hand. He tried to make himself rich really quick. Yeah. And he probably should have been saying. working on that wealth over all those years. It it's, takes time. It's kind, of, it's kind of like a Breaking Bad situation. He's yes, kind of like you know what? I got the same White, feeling, he, right? I got the he same had feeling. No re- he did, but he didn't have the urgency that Walter White had. Like, he didn't have a death diagnosis or, like, right. a, a, a cancer diagnosis. He just was like, like you said, he got to a point in his life where he's like, I'm not where I want to be, and I want more money. And so he just took a crazy chance. Well, also, he uh, he wasn't where he was. I mean, he was facing bankruptcy because he was so – they were. it wasn't just that they weren't wealthy. It was the opposite in that they were they owed so much money as well right, be- right, from right. trying to become rich too quickly. Right, and he just to- couldn't – he couldn't bear the – I don't think he could bear the shame of becoming bankrupt. Yeah. I just, I just don't think that was in the cards. Yeah, that was, that was never in the cards for them. Yeah, so so John and his wife Anne they moved uh, to the scenic seaside town of Seaton Crew or Seaton Carew in December of 2000, where John worked as a prison guard. Um, and they're getting older at this point. Their boys were grown and living on their own. Um, and John or John Darwin and Anne uh, was Anne was now a doctor's receptionist, and they also ran a business renting rooms. Um, they had 13 different buildings or homes where they rented out rooms from 
um, to single persons. So one person per room, um, and you would pay, I think, I don't know, by the night or by the week, whatever it was. And they dreamed of becoming millionaires by, you know, owning these properties and renting out these rooms. Right. Uh, this is insane that they got to this point and mismanaged mismanaged their money. You know, it's like if you got to the point where you have 13 rental properties, um, you had all the tools to become yeah. successful. But they had no patience. They took on too much they, too they quick. No it patience. wasn't the rental right. properties that were the problem. They were Those That's were paying right. for themselves and a little bit more, but they took on these, these two large properties, um, these seafront massive homes, three and four of the cliff. Yeah. Um, and there was one was massive home for them. And I think maybe they were renovating the one next to them, um, next door that was actually connected. Right. Uh, and they were going to sell it or something. I don't know. But those two houses basically bankrupted them. They couldn't afford them based off of the money they were making from renting those rooms um, and from, you know, being a, being a prison guard and his wife being a doctor's receptionist. They weren't bringing in enough cash flow to afford those two, Matt. They took too big of a risk with those two big homes they bought. Damn. People want that look, man. They want mm-hmm. that look, you know. It's like, what good is me being a real, real, real estate tycoon if I don't have some of the nicest real estate to live in? I guess it seemed like things were going fine, but I mean, being a prison guard at this time and a receptionist as your main sources of income, which yeah. obviously they still needed them, right? Or they wouldn't still be doing them. So the I house, think that's a farce, properties. dude. Don't you think that's a farce that, like, if say you're a real estate agent, you have to have you have to look the part. They always, you always hear that. Like, it seems like they they get kind of uh, pulled into this mentality where it's like uh, you have to drive a Mercedes, you have to dress like yeah. you know high end suits and stuff in order to be. A re- no one's going to buy a home from you if they don't believe that you're successful. It's like I'd rather have a real estate agent that drives a beater car. Because I just don't feel like they're going to be trying to do anything to sell me a house and make commission, you know. Like, I, I don't know. I don't buy. I don't buy that as a, as the consumer myself. It, it maybe I maybe I'm in the the minority here, but I just feel like yeah. I, I don't need the the uber successful look in order for me to believe that you know how to sell a house or that I want you to sell me a house. I, I don't buy that. Okay, let me ask you this: Would you get the uh, beater car salesman to sell your house? Uh, yeah, if I met him and I liked him. Hmm. Probably a bad idea, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's a great guy, Lauren. I'm sure you're doing a great thing. I mean, I hope you like to hold on to that property. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Maybe I could um, talk him out of uh, talk him out of some of that commission, you know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously money's not a huge priority for them. Damn. I'm just kidding. Yeah, or maybe he's just a really bad realtor. Yeah, that's possible. But I mean, well. you gotta start somewhere. You have to start somewhere, right? Yeah, I mean, you you don't just you don't just get your real estate license and and it comes with a Mercedes. Like, exactly, you, you have to work your way up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, and and I think a lot of people get talked into doing that before they have any success, and they start, you're already putting them in a hole from the start, just to try and yeah. look the part when they haven't even sold a house yet. I agree, because <clears throat> they feel like they they need to look that way. Yeah. So uh, John, as we mentioned, was kind of obsessed with becoming rich and tried many methods, uh, none of which at the time were paying off at the rate that he was hoping for. He was playing the stock market. He had these two large properties he had purchased that he was hoping to you know, flip one of, I think, to pay for the one that they were going to stay in. Um, but they had basically gotten in over their head after purchasing those two large homes, and they couldn't afford them. Bankruptcy was looming. They actually had like a hearing for bankruptcy coming up when on Thursday, March 21st, 2002, John Darwin was seen paddling out to sea in his kayak off the beach in Seton Carew. A neighbor named Howie Russin saw John paddle out like he had many times before. So this is a common thing John would do. He'd go out and paddle around in the ocean 
Um, they were, right. Their home, their their big fancy home was right on the beach. So all he had to do was basically walk out with his canoe. Um, on this day, um, on March 21st, 2002, that Thursday, the weather wasn't ideal, but it wasn't also so treacherous that it was suicidal to go out there. It was just basically right. choppy waters, a little bit of, of a breeze. Um, and so Howie Russin saw him go out, you know, like he did many times before and thought nothing of it. He's like, yeah, he's paddling out. It's a little bit choppy, but whatever. Um, right. However, at 9.30 p.m. that night, John's wife, Anne, uh, became concerned and had called and reported him missing to the police after he had not returned home. Uh, uh, an ensuing large-scale area search took place during which 62 square miles of coastline and 200 miles of sea were searched. A total of 40 men were out searching for John, um, and all they found was the next day they found a double-ended, a double-ended paddle you know, that would be used for the type of canoe that John went out in. It very well could right. have been his canoe paddle, and they assumed it was. Um, but no John Darwin. No John Darwin was found. The search operation costed about 100,000 pounds. And finally, after wow. a few weeks, they found the battered wreckage of Darwin's kayak. And at that point, you have to assume the worst. Right. When he mm. hasn't been seen for weeks, and then you find the battered kayak, you would right. basically assume him dead at that point. Um, when the police broke yep. the news to Anne that um, – so at the, around this time as well, a body washes up. And then you're, you're thinking the worst there. It's like it's got to be him, right? Um, yep. However, it was, it was not John. Um, and when the police broke the news that the body that washed up was not John to Anne, she weeped and wailed and said that she wished it was because then with a body she would be able to grieve properly and reach some closure. However, Dang. time went on. Time went on, and there was no word from John, and it would appear to most at this point that John had capsized his canoe in the choppy waters and drowned. That's at least what John was hoping that people would think, because exactly. he was not dead. And that's why we're covering this case, and that's why he's part of the Scam Artist series part three. During this time— This wasn't, this wasn't a terrible plan, to be honest. No, no, I mean, it worked really, for a while. It really worked for a yeah, while. It worked for a long—I mean, even, even to the point of knowing that that nosy neighbor— is going to testify that you went out on your canoe that day. Because, you know, he probably went out on his canoe, and then on his way in, his neighbor probably stopped him and said, Hey, John, you know, how was the water? I saw you paddling out this morning. You know, mm-hmm. you know how neighbors do. Yeah, so, he assumed he was being watched by somebody or was being seen by somebody. That's, that's why he, he paddled out. He paddled out of sight before, yes. you know, making a turn and going far enough away that no one would be able to see where he came back in at. Right, right. But, but there was a part of the sea where, like, shipping, uh, big shipping... Oh yeah, and ships were being transported constantly. Yeah, right, pretty across sketchy there. So, spot to go to go paddling through. Exactly. So it didn't seem much. It didn't seem very realistic for him to just keep going straight out into the ocean because that's like a it's like a highway of ships, at least described by the neighbor. From from yeah. my point, you know, that's what I gathered from. However, it. maybe that's so. what he wanted the neighbor. He maybe he wanted people to see him heading towards that, and that would kind of explain how he was, you know, able to. In a sense, because I mean, there was a bit of like wonder as like how did he how did he get misplaced from his canoe when the waters weren't that bad you know the that weather had actually right. continued to clear up and the the waters the next day were completely flat um right and the so. and the choppiness that we're describing of the of the ocean here is just its shore it's just the tide coming in once mm-hmm. he got out past where the tide was coming in and in a little bit deeper water it was calm it was like a normal day out there yeah so i mean the, the only choppiness was right there and then Unless someone just had no sense and like went up underneath one of those shipping ships. I was going to say, it's almost as if the understand. only thing that would make sense to outsiders is that he got struck by some sort of a boat or 
Yeah, but God, like, like how that. do you get struck by a boat? You're in the middle of the fucking ocean. Open your eyes, bro. <laughs> I know, you're right? Getting struck by a boat? It's not. I don't know. It, it yeah, just, it's not like you're forced to swim. You have paddles. You can move at a fairly decent clip if you see something coming from a distance. But right, yeah. And you would yeah, think he exactly. would have. He he should have had a life jacket. You know, a life jacket on or a, um, what do you call those? Life jacket, yeah, I guess. Yeah, a life jacket. He should have yeah. definitely had a life. What's a with life the life preserver, kid? Call it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let me get a, a lifesaver around your waist. <laughs> Doing Where's some your more, floaties? Uh, <laughs> Doing some more Back to the Future. Oh yeah. This kid thinks he's gonna drown. <laughs> <clears throat> so during this time, uh, as we mentioned, John was alive and well, even though everyone else was assuming him dead. And believe it or not, he was frequently calling his wife from the Lake District to see when the coast was clear upon for his uh, return to their home in Seton Carew. So his wife is in on this, um, and she had actually picked him up that same day before calling the police. Um, yep. John's plan of roping his wife into a life insurance fraud scheme was in full effect now, and it was too late for her to change her mind. The night that John had paddled out and supposedly drowned and had done what he had asked her to do by picking him up at the shore near North Gare, from North Gare, and drove him 40 minutes to Durham Railway Station to make his getaway. So they knew that he had to get away for a while if this was going to work. Mm -hmm. um, and Anne was going to have to put on her best acting chops to basically convince the authorities that her husband had not returned and that she was distraught, you know, in his disappearance and then presumed death. And she right. did she did a valiant job of lying to the police and authorities and media and everyone about this for a long time. And really, oh, yeah, she's she, did. she put in more work than her husband. He he's a dick in so many ways in doing this to his family. I mean, what he does to his sons, which we'll get into. But to make his, you know, make his wife be a part of this because I, this was never her idea. This was she just did this be out of initially, I think, out of love for him, and also then it, at a certain point it became the point like now in the story where she's just too far into this to back out now, or she she knows well, she's implicated in this crime now. Also, though, I, I think I know the couple had their money problems and probably other issues, but it seemed to me that they truly did love each other and that they were they yeah. were soulmates and they had already decided that and I think she had decided from this point and before this point that I'm going to stand beside John no matter what. At this well, point yeah, I mean they've bad, been together for I guess we're both going to prison. Yeah, they have two grown sons. That's how right. long they've been together. I mean, you're talking 20 to 30 year relationship. They've been through so much. Now they're getting up into their older years. She's she at that point you start thinking like am I really going to leave this person and try and find someone new after all the, you know, Everything I've been through right. with this person, right. you're you're basically tethered to them. Right. I mean, and we can't take away guilt. we can't take away guilt from her either. She she was complicit in it and she is therefore Absolutely. just as guilty. So I mean it's not like she's innocent. Absolutely. But I think she does what any loving wife would have done in this situation. If like I don't know, it just feels like they were in their last uh you know, in their last chance. Once here again, to a little bit like breaking bad, like like uh when Walt roped his wife into it. Yeah, Skyler. Skyler, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he roped Skyler into it. And at first she she wasn't feeling it, but then later she's like, I can play this role. Not only can I play this role, I can play it damn well. Yeah. And I think I think the excitement of that as well. I mean, think about it. They live their lives pretty pretty normal for the first, you know, 30, 40 years together, like you were talking about. Yeah. And this was I think this was also exciting. It was a way to kind of get over on people and also get back ahead and I don't know. Maybe it kind of sparked their relationship a little bit for a little while. It seemed as though they did. They had fun for a little while. Oh, yeah. When they got the payouts, they were having some yeah. fun. <laughs> they sure were. They sure were. Yeah, so 
So after a few weeks of being on the lam and hiding out from the authorities while his wife was convincing them that uh, her husband was, you know, was gone forever and finally drove to Cumbria to pick him up, although she didn't recognize him at first because John had grown a beard and was wearing different clothes and was walking with a limp and using a walking stick. So he was nice. really selling this new identity that he was going to create. Um, and with, with such a disguise, John was back at number three, the cliff, no longer than a month after his disappearance. Um, and using a false door, which led to number four, we mentioned how they had this two large beachside houses um, right. next door to each other. And so he had this false door that would lead from the one that the main home that they had lived in to the next the next door home in which they were like renovating or whatever they were doing. Um, and so at any given time, if someone just randomly popped in for an unexpected visit to see Anne, he could just pop through that false door, go into the next house right. over, and he could even go into the attic. He had like a secret room in the attic of the of the neighboring home. Right, and the false door uh, was actually in the master bedroom of him and Anne's room. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he could be in the room, go into the closet, and then there was like a backing in the closet that you could pull off and then yep. go out into the attic space. And then mm-hmm. from there, you could go any part of the building. Yep. Yeah, you, know, could. you have to think that if authorities had some suspicion as to whether this was in a, an insurance fraud scheme or something, if they had any doubts as to whether John was actually dead or not, all they would have to do is do some surveillance from the ocean in a ship or something, go out there in a yeah. boat and, and surveil their – because, you know, the windows facing the ocean were going to be – curtains would be, you know, open most of the time. And you could you would clearly see John wandering around the house and stuff, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, well, I'm sure they were more careful than that, though. Sure. Didn't and didn't they pass him off as like a repairman or something? Well, yeah, Someone if any, he was doing some work on the house a few times when he was caught. Exactly. When anyone would come over to do repairs on the home, John was even brazen enough to stay in the home and act as though he was a, a fellow, you know, repairman working on the house as well at the same time. Right, um, right. But but the repair guys that would come to work on things said that John would, you know, he he wasn't going by John as you know his uh, Anne's husband or anything. He was going by a repairman. But the guy was way too. Curious as to, and like pushy as to what what the other repairman was doing. John was like all yeah. up in their business, and they, they just found it odd that he cared so much. If he was just a repairman working on something else, why is why is he all up yeah, in their why, business? Why? It's like, bro, don't you have your own repairs to do? What the hell? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. done that before. That that can get that can get weird. I've worked on properties where other other people were there, like maybe electricians there or the plumbers there, while you're doing different you're like, type. Bro, of just work. stay out of my way. I'll stay out of yours. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> or they try to get work out of you. It's like, hey, bro, while you're over there, could you're you using the power tool and the electrician cuts the power the... off in the middle of your cutting something. What you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could see how it could. They kind of butt heads a lot already. I could yeah. only imagine if one of the repairmen owned the house. <laughs> right. Yeah, so uh, John didn't always stay hidden away, though. He regularly limped down to the beach to the Seton Carew Library. Um, Sometime within a year, within that first year, a tenant of the block of flats that Darwin's that the Darwins owned, you know, the rooms that they were renting out, a guy named Lee Wadrup, recognized Darwin and asked him, "Aren't you supposed to be dead?" To which Darwin replied, "Don't tell anyone about this." So oh, <laughs> he got shit. busted, and uh, Wadrup later said that he had not told the police because he didn't want to get involved. So nothing to see here. That. Not my business. Yeah, I no think I've done the same thing. Well, here's the thing, too. If he's renting from the guy that's supposed right. to be dead, he's like, I don't <laughs> yeah. want to get turn him in because if he gets arrested and all his assets get taken, turn then where am I going to live? Yeah. yeah. Where am I going to live? That's true. So, 
And then now, and also now you have something on your landlord. It's like, hey, yeah, uh, by the way, John, I don't have rent this month. Um, <laughs> what are you going to do about it, bitch? So, fuck you, you're dead. So, Limp your ass away, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can only say that because he's fake limping, okay? I'm not, I'm not. Right, right, right. <laughs> but so, yeah, definitely. You could definitely hold that over his head. Yeah. <laughs> So, meanwhile, in April of 2003, a death certificate was issued stating that Darwin had died on March 21st, 2002. John and Anne's sons were completely unaware during this time of their father's and mother's scheme and believed that he was dead. For many years, the next, like, five and a half years, they believed that their father was dead. And that's, that's what I mean by the mother being completely guilty in this and implicated in it. She, she went along with this and let, the, let her own sons believe that their father was dead just for money. So, I guess they're... I guess they would be considered the victims of this of this whole crime to me. Yeah. That that that's kind of that's bullshit. That's really fucking with someone's head right there. That's a good way to get separated from them for your whole life. No doubt. You know. Mm. Yeah. And they would later write their parents off. So. Yeah, understandably so. I mean, mm-hmm. you got time for that shit. Yeah. And so as was John's plan all along, um, this whole scheme was working, and this allowed his wife to claim the life insurance policies that were all on him. He, there was a 25,000-pound uh, insurance policy for his basic life insurance. There was a $25,000-pound teacher's, teacher's pension, 58,000-pound uh, prison service pension, as well as 4000 in payouts from the Department of Work and Pensions, and the big one, 137,000-pound payout from the Norwich Union mortgage insurance policy. So basically their home was paid off, or now Anne's home was paid off in lieu of her husband's death. So no mortgage wow. on that big-ass house anymore and some money in the bank to go with it. The total was 249,000 pounds that they were paid out. Wow. So I'm guessing it paid for number three, but not number mm-hmm. four because that wasn't their primary residence. Right, right. So they still probably had a, a debt to pay on that one, but now she had quite a bit of money sitting in the bank. Yeah, now you could renovate number four and get somebody yeah. in there and start making yeah. money on that thing. Exactly, get your husband's uh, <laughs> his fake uh, fake uh, personality out of there as well. That's the only problem yeah, yeah. with renting that one out. Is then where does where does John have to go when company shows up? Yeah, that's up? true. He's got nowhere to hide. So John was now spending his time constructing his new identity, scouring graveyards and local newspapers until he came upon the name of John Jones. Uh, a name he first used when he registered with the library and began borrowing books. The real John Jones, this part's fucked up. I mean, I guess there's more victims in regards to this. Um, because the real John Jones was born five months before Darwin on March 27, 1950. At his grand's home in southern uh, Sunderland, that he was the son of a river worker, Alfred John Jones, and his wife, Lily. And this John Jones that's John... Uh, John Darwin would be stealing the identity from was a five-year-old baby that had actually um, passed away um, at five, five actually, weeks. Five, oh, five weeks. Five-week yeah, old baby, yes. Five-week old baby that had died uh, at the Center f- uh, for Infectious Diseases from enteritis, which is actually right. an inflammation of the small intestine. It's most commonly caused by food or drink contaminated with path- pathogenic microbes. So this baby had died, sadly, at five weeks old, and now John Darwin... 50 years later, after the baby had died, is stealing this baby's identity. Okay, who is the victim here? The family, I guess, I mean, the, the documentary we watched, which I guess we could bring up real quick. Nope. Um, yeah, we definitely made it some, made you, you know, they, they sold the whole concept that the family 
of the bit of the baby that had died 50 years uh, prior uh-huh. was the victims. The documentary we watched was called Back from the Dead, the John Darwin story. It's a full documentary by Real Crime. You can find it on YouTube. Right. Okay. Am I being, if I, if I am, just please tell me, am I being insensitive and not understanding why this family is so distraught? It's not the parents of the child because surely they're dead by now. Yeah, it was 50 years ago. Uh, right. It, it, so you're if talking not dead, about then they're just, very extremely old. Right. So we're talking about siblings of this five week old infant that passed that no one ever knew um, yeah. is now heartbroken. I'm, I'm, I'm seriously trying to understand this. When the documentary fed it to me, like I'm supposed to be sad. I'm supposed to be like, wow, what a horrible monster stole, a, stole an infant's identity. But I'm like, wouldn't it be worse if he stole an alive person's identity? Someone. Um, that's what, that's how John looked at it. John Darwin was like, I, I'm not hurting anyone by stealing an identity of someone, you know, a person that's been dead for 50 years. That's what I, I mean, what, as opposed what bad to memories? really creating a headache like, by stealing someone who's alive's identity. Yeah. I don't understand why this hurts the family. I feel like they kind of just wanted. Not only that, the family didn't even have to know really. I mean, the, the siblings of what does the, it matter? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the siblings, 50 years later, don't need to know. It's re- especially since they caught the person, and it's like, right. why bring that grief if there is grief involved to them unnecessarily? Yeah, it's much that's to what do I'm about saying. nothing. Nothing's gonna. I mean, I don't what? know. I, I'm with you. I, I, you're not. I don't think you're being insensitive, but okay, because I, I just didn't get it. I'm sitting there looking at it, and I was watching it with my wife, and I'm looking at her, and I'm going, "What is the big deal here? Why yeah. does this hurt this family?" I mean. My mo- my mother had a miscarriage um, when I was like 13, 14 years old, and I don't miss that baby. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't I don't understand how how it affects. I do understand how it affects parents. Don't get me wrong, but like I said, the parents are past. We're talking about siblings, maybe cousins of the family. They had like eight to nine people in a room. I'm like, who are these people? Yeah, and they were all to- maybe in their early 50s. Maybe so they were kid. They were kids when this. When this baby kid died, yes. When this baby was born and died, they were just babies, yes. most likely, or not even born. So I'm like, what? What? Where is the crime? Where is the? Because they're they're talking about John, like what a what a piece of shit who would steal a, a dead baby's identity. I'm like, well, I mean, he was going to steal somebody's. There's people all the time that steal people's identity and drain their bank accounts. He's a piece That's of shit for stealing anyone's identity, dead or alive. He's a piece of shit. Regardless, for faking his death right. to get life insurance payout, he's a piece of shit. There's no denying it. But right, to but act like he's more of a piece worse. of shit for stealing a dead baby's <laughs> identity. It just anytime you hear dead baby, it sounds bad. Let's just let's be honest about that. <laughs> well, that's yeah, just, that's yeah, just the fact I of mean, the matter. Right, 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 right. But I, but that dead baby doesn't care that John right. took his identity. Nor nor does any of those family members. I think if it's really put down. If we're really getting down to brass tacks here, I think once they get done with the interview, they go on about their life and they take their money they made and they go on shopping. I was going to say they may have been trying to sell grief in order to get a you know like a, a lawsuit going against John for for grief. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's very possible. It's very and possible. it's also possible things affect different people differently. You know, it's obviously a tragedy Absolutely. when a five week old baby dies. It's horrible. So it's terrible. As parents, we can only imagine how bad that must be. And if As you're the parents, sibling, if, yes. you know, like, let's say if my, my son, who's three, if he, you know, if, if we had another kid right now and the kid was five weeks old, my son would become quite attached to his, you know, younger sibling. And if they, they if they passed away, that would be terrible. And my son, my yeah, son would be sad. Years but 50 from now, years he's from over now, 
yeah, yeah you wouldn't think that someone stealing the identity of that child at that point would affect them all that much. I don't know. Maybe it just brings back the grief of you. Maybe you re-experience losing that child again. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe. more what it's about than anything. Right. Right. I don't know. Okay. So we expl- we definitely talked about that, about that enough. Um, nonetheless, John okay. Darwin used John Jones's name to get a birth certificate. He then used the birth certificate accompanied by a black and white photo of himself sporting a long bushy beard, a photograph which a librarian si- signed to ident- authenticate as he was much uh, as a he was a regular customer at this time to the library, and mm-hmm. he used that photo with the birth certificate to get a passport. Um, he even used his wife's home address to get the passport. So he's taking some stupid risks here. Um, connecting himself to this fake identity now by using his wife's home address. Right. His former home address. Mm-hmm. Um, having created a new identity, John now spent much of his time exploring the internet. This part of the story I caught me off guard. I didn't expect this at all. He's an older guy. I just didn't picture him being a type of guy to be into role-playing games. And this right. is where his life goes now. Um, he's, <laughs> he ends up spending much of his time exploring the internet and playing an interactive role-playing game called Asherin's Call, which I've never heard of, but it sounds a little bit like World of Warcraft or something. Okay. It's an interactive online game where thousands of players inhibit a beautiful 3D fantasy world to make friends and seek out perilous adventure. Sounds much like World of Warcraft, which I've never played, but I do. I know that tons oh, of people wow. become obsessed with that game because it's so interactive with other humans. And Yes, it is. Yeah, it's very much uh, like World of Warcraft. It looks like it. It says it was owned by Microsoft until 2004, so I don't know if people are still making it or... Hmm. I don't know. That's interesting. Oh, yeah, you can still get it. You can still get it, man. That's interesting. Nice. So uh, John's wife, Anne, later said that the people that played it became characters in the world. They had money. They could buy and sell things. They could buy and sell property. They could. No wonder John liked it so much. He probably became the mogul that he wanted to be in real life in this game. Well, well, you got to think he couldn't uh, couldn't go out. He just couldn't go out and be part of a a community. So he's like, I'm going to do it this way. Yeah, and apparently you could even cast spells on another um, within the game. John played a druid, and one of the people he came up against was Kelly Steele, a woman who was thrice married and in her 40s living in Kansas City in the U.S. Shout out to Kansas City, all our Kansas City creepers. Hell yeah, KC. Yeah, Um, Kelly Steele might be a Kansas City creeper, who knows. Um, He communicated with her by email and then by telephone, keeping his conversations concealed from his wife by wearing headphones, and he ended up... uh, trying to create like a business relationship with this Kelly Steele. Um, he wanted her to buy an old derelict 10-acre farm in Kansas City on John's beha- behalf where they could she could fix it up and then together they could go into business. Um, I don't know if it, was, right. if it was like actually selling stuff from the farm or if it was uh, renting out the farm itself. No, I, don't know. I, think, I think he just bought this nice farm property with a dilapidated home on it and he wanted her to re- renovate it and then he and was then going to flip resell it. the... And then flip the property or rent the property out, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that's and what so, he yeah, he actually for. sends, I think, 30,000 pounds to her um, to have her start work on this this farm that they would purchase the farm and then get to work on it. Mm-hmm. And, then he, and then he then actually goes there, flies to Kansas City, and meets with this, this Kelly, Kelly Steele. She invites him into her home, having already received the money from him. She knows that he's legit and that they're actually going to try this business partnership out. Right. Um, and however, within ten minutes of her being of him being in her home, where she had her family, she had kids and whatnot, she she gives him a room 
and she's walking down like by the hallway and at the end of the hallway was the the open door of the room that she let him stay in and he's basically undressing for the whole house to see within the first like 10 minutes <laughs> it's like and she's like i don't know how you do things in your country but <laughs> in america we don't we don't dress in front of other families undress in front of families we just met like this right we just met him like yeah, so I don't know if he had some other intentions here other than just a business partnership, if he was hoping for a romantic relationship with Kelly. Right. It's hard to not think that when you see that story from Kelly. This this is where this documentary just takes a turn, y'all. Like, you think this guy, John, is just some boring guy who was in money trouble, but he's got <laughs> yes. some other dark secrets. He's got uh, some other you, shit that he's hiding, right? If you believe Kelly and her story, yeah, you would say this guy's a real fucking dangerous criminal because not only is he undressed in her home within minutes of meeting her, but then she kicks him out and, and makes him go to a hotel, and they were going to continue their business partnership or whatever, but it starts getting to the point where she's like, he's just too demanding, and he's basically being a dick, and nobody in this town likes him, and they want him gone, and so she basically asks him to leave, and um, upon him leaving, he starts writing her emails saying basically death threats, saying, I'll kill you, I'll kill your, your animals, I'll you know do this, I'll do that. A bunch of pretty serious threats. Right. Yeah, he's crazy, bro. Mm-hmm. It, it just This stuff comes out of nowhere, but he has a lot at stake here. He really needs her to proceed, and he, this, this uh, business venture cannot fail. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, because this is, I mean, he already faked his death. He can't do it again. So what right. he has financially now is all he's going to get unless he can turn it into something else. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So nonetheless, uh, John slunk back to Seton Carew, having lost 30,000 pounds on this venture. And once more, he was cooped up in the number four, the cliff. Uh, but he continued to search for his next destination and his next uh, scheme, basically. And in 2004, the Darwins back together. I mean, basically, he he convinced uh, when he'd gone to Kansas City, he'd convinced his wife he was just going on a business trip or whatever. Um, but when he comes back, now they're going to start doing things together again. The Darwins decided to move abroad in 2004. In November, they visited Cyprus to investigate buying a property there. Cyprus, uh, officially called the Republic of Cyprus, is an island country in the eastern Mediterranean. It's the third largest and third most populous island in the Mediterranean. It's located north of Egypt, northwest of Lebanon, Palestine, and Israel, west of Syria, southeast of Greece, and south of Turkey. So it's 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 in the Mediterranean. You can't pinpoint area. it on that. You don't know maps. Yeah, exactly. It's a little island got, in the Mediterranean. I love all those descriptions you put in there. North <laughs> well, yeah. of Lebanon, Palestine, and Israel, and west of Syria, southeast of Greece. And if you still don't know, it's south of Turkey. So. Yeah, well, if, I, if I'm being honest, I was not all that um, keen on Cyprus. I was not something that... No, I agree. I agree 100%. I knew there's Cyprus trees. I wasn't really aware of the country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, you, you, we definitely cleared it up. We know exactly where it is now. Good. Yeah, you can pinpoint <laughs> it in your mind, right? That's right. Yep. I know exactly where it is. Good. Okay. So uh, Anne would later say, we only went for a week and we looked at quite a few properties, but it just seemed to take too long to do anything over there. Yeah. So in 2005, John traveled to Spain and Gibraltar to view a 60-foot catamaran worth 45,000 pounds. So now their new plan was going to be to sail the seas. Why not? That's a good escape plan. Yeah. Be in international waters, hard to you know, track who you are, basically live like pirates. They can live out there and yeah. stock up on food, in a yacht. And make quick little stops in, in cities and grab up on supplies and head um, back out. 
Yeah, the quote, the sort of book he was looking or boat he was looking at was definitely a boat you could have happily go long term cruising on, possibly around the world, and certainly disappear from society if you wanted to. But by the end of 2005, the Darwins decided that life at sea was not for them, and they began preparing to buy some land abroad. Wouldn't that be kind of ironic, though, if that's how he lived out the rest of his years? He had basically supposedly died at sea, but instead, right. in reality, he was out sailing the open seas to... in a ship he'd gotten insurance money from his fake death. That'd be actually a pretty gangster you know, move. That. Well, it would be, but it, but it, I think in a way it would become its own form of punishment, having to yeah, live your yeah, life out right. on sea. It's like it's like okay, well, if you say you died out there, then you better stay. Even more ironic would be if he just like jumped into the ocean at this certain point because he just got sick of it and he's like, I'm going to do what drowned. I originally said I did. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and drown now. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck, Ann. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's another quote from Ann about this time. She said. He was forever looking at new things and new places on the internet, and one day he just came up came up with Panama. Panama, right? Hey, there's no rules, right? It's like kind of a kind of a wild west out there in Panama. They're kind of uh, kind of more secretive. You got a little more yeah. privacy. At least that's what the documentary led me to believe. That's where I've all old old uh, like kind of thieves seem to run to places like that oh, in Central oh, America thanks. and South America. They run to these forests or jungles. Huh. Okay. Okay. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, it's either there or Florida. Yeah. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, that's the way it described it. It described it as like this kind of open land where, you know, the banking system is private and uh, kept away from international fingers, you know, Interests. and eyes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it seemed like the perfect. It, it, not only did it seem like the perfect place, it seemed one of the only few places that uh, John and Anne could go now to get away. I mean, they had to find some place like this. Yeah, supposedly they fell in love with this this giant property they found that was basically jungle, and like I forget how many acres they said it was. Dude, it was like four like hundred. It was yeah. like four hundred and twenty something acres, and then they bought it for like two hundred thousand pounds, which is insanely yeah. cheap. Yeah. So that is but oh, man, fucking ridiculous amount of work, like. To do oh, anything yeah. with that, we we remember we heard how much work it was for for Jim Jones's crew to to uh, down in uh, Guyana when they had Guyana, to yeah. when they had to make that into that commune that they made down there. The amount of work oh, yeah. it took years to to uproot a lot of that you know that, that jungle terrain that's just so ingrained there that it the machinery was breaking and it was just like you, to do anything with that type of land is really tough. Oh, I don't absolutely. know how John kinda, and his wife Anne figured they were going to work this land and make it make a home there out of it. No, that kind of land right there to me, it seems like you got to kind of do what the land tells you. You kind of build in clear build around areas. it, right? Build with it. You build work a, with it. Yes, you build, build a fucking treehouse or something. I don't know. Exactly. You do what the fuck that land tells you to do, or you're going to be fighting real hard. Especially when you're in your latter years and uh, you're not going to be uprooting these trees yourself. You're going to have to pay somebody. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so um, it seemed that uh, they had made their dreams of living out of their remaining years in paradise a reality. Um, when in 2006 of July, they flew out to Central America, they fell in love with that property and purchased it, you know, like you said, for 200,000 um, pounds. However, on their first trip to Panama, they allowed a photograph to be taken of them standing, smiling happily next to the owner and director of Move to Panama, Mario, uh, Mario Villar. So this guy snaps a quick, like pulls out a camera. He's like, hey, let's get a picture. You guys are buying this property down in, down in Panama. And they're like yeah. just mortified. They're like, oh, fuck. This guy just quickly 
you know, yeah, asked us for this picture. I, we, you know, they uh, did. It was too awkward to say no, and of course, this picture would come back to bite them in the ass. Of you course, know. I don't like. I don't like this shit. I don't like when businesses want to put you on their social media and like they don't give you a choice. Right. You know what I mean? For instance, like there's this there's this small time guitar shop that's in like a town about thirty about thirty minutes from me, and it's an amazing guitar shop. Like all kinds of like any kind of musical artists that come through the area, they always stop there. It's a very cool place, and they have tons of guitars that I'm interested in. But I don't want to go buy the one there because I don't want to stand against their stupid board and have my picture taken and be put on their social media and look like a douche. You don't think you can just I say, uh, I don't want to take a picture? It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it. It looks like pretty much every damn person that goes through I'm there. I'm currently on the run. I'm presumed dead. You can't take my picture. <laughs> right. <laughs> just tell them right. that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that should do it. That's what John should have said here uh, in right. hindsight. Uh, I'm just kidding, of course, but yeah, don't take but, my picture. But in 2006, to be fair, in 2006, every photo wasn't going on the internet. It wasn't known that it was going on the internet. But they did say it was going to be for their website, though, to be fair. <laughs> oh, well, well, there you go. <laughs> my bad. Uh, yeah, you guys really dropped the ball on that one. Yeah. But, but, but otherwise, in 2006, and even then, a picture on their website didn't seem that damning yeah. until someone yeah. started searching for them. It's not yeah, like it's a pretty niche thing. Media. Pretty niche yeah. thing for someone to find. Yeah. Someone would have to search for it, which exactly. they ended up doing. Of course, it wasn't directly this they got them caught, but this was kind of the nail in the coffin. It proved Oof. that they were, you know, it really started criminals. the discussion. It started the discussion. So in March of 2007, the couple formed a company called Jaguar Properties in order to buy a two-bedroom apartment in El Dorado for fifty thousand pounds. The following month, Anne returned to the UK to sell her home while Dar- Darwin remained in Panama. So now they can come up with a lot more income as well. They already had the, the payouts from the life insurance and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they could, if they're moving to Panama, they can sell their properties in England and make you know, a pretty good chunk of money, especially since they owned number three outright after the insurance paying that off. So they could get all that money. Right. Um, and then they could use that money on their property down in Panama and expand. And of course, that's what they had goals of doing is becoming uh, real estate tycoons now in Panama. They couldn't just live out their life on their nice know, big right? jungle land and build you a, a nice home there. You can grow anything in Panama as well. It's like, yeah. what do you want to grow? Just fucking plant it. And you can Shit, be they so probably wouldn't even need to. There's probably so much food if you looked around their, their jungle oh, property. It's probably right? like endless coconuts or whatever. Yeah, banana trees, yeah. mangoes, shit like that that grows tropical. You could probably just plant pineapples. I mean, they take like two years to grow, but still. Yeah. Uh, you could you could plant. You could do anything in that property. But it was never enough become for John. But that's least. not what they wanted. You know, no, that's not the They wanted to they take wanted. over Panama, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were never satisfied. Yeah. Oh, damn. And so uh, they in 2007, they purchased a 200,000-pound tropical estate in the village of Escobal, Cologne, Panama, near the Panama Canal, with the intention of building a hotel from where the canoeing holidays could be run. So, And John would later say that this was a fabrication of the media to make this story more elaborate. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the whole canoeing thing, they were going to run this canoeing service from a hotel that they had. Um, and he was like, right. people just added that in because I supposedly died in a canoe and they thought it'd be you know, make the story more interesting. But I kind of, I don't know. I buy it. I believe it. So you think he was going to start a canoeing thing? Yeah. Why wouldn't he? Yeah. He's a cocky bastard. I mean, yeah, he's the canoe He man. knows canoeing. I he's mean, done it on. before. I mean, I feel yeah. like... It makes so. sense. It makes sense. Yep. So John and Ann visited Panama again. They're going back and forth between England and Panama this time. 
um, and in July of 2007, risky. they stayed for six weeks in Panama because I mean they don't have a home necessarily yet. They're, they they have this big property, but there's still a lot of stuff to be done. Well, they're and living it, in that uh, two bedroom apartment that they bought in Panama yeah, for fifty thousand. That's it's where temporary. they're living right now. Yeah, and then they've got affairs to take care of in England, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think most of the time, Anne was traveling to England. He was staying staying in Panama. It's a lot safer for them not to travel together and be seen together and whatnot. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And so, uh, and it was around this time that a police investigation was started in September of 2007, when a colleague of Anne became suspicious upon overhearing a phone conversation between John and Anne. Um, mm. And so, yeah. this investigation is underway now, and the Darwin family home would ended up being sold for 295,000 pounds in October 2007. And and subsequently left for Panama. Man, that's that's a good chunk of chains there. Um, yes, it is. Especially in Panama. No doubt. Yeah. Damn, you could buy four hundred acres with that apparently. Yeah. And now you got it again, and you already own the the huge four hundred acre lot. Like mm-hmm. they can really oh get to God. work on their hotel and start. Seriously, to... they really could. Um, so in the third week of November, the couple vacationed in Costa Rica before returning to Panama. Um, and following a change in Panama's, this, this is what did them in right here. Ah. So Panama at this time, the, they, they create a change in their laws, their visa laws. Um, and Darwin would email um, his wife, Anne, on June 14th, 2007 to notify her that their identities would have to be verified by the UK police in order for them to receive now required Panama investors visas. And, and guys, this is what you will not learn in the documentary. This little fact right here is huge. And the this, biggest thing that got them caught. I mean, this was seriously. And they, John they now do knows not, the jigs up. He can't stay in Panama without proving his identity further by the UK, and he's not able. He's not able to do that because he knows his John Jones identity is not going to hold up under scrutiny in UK. That's right. That's right. They and really they totally gloss it. over this in the documentary. It's totally glossed yep. over. Yep. Unbelievable. Yeah. So knowing that his John Jones alias would not pass this level of scrutiny in England, John Darwin decided to return to the UK. And this is where the story blows up in England because he returns to the UK under his under his real name and just reappears, go, walks into a police station and says that yep. he thinks that he suffered some amnesia and he basically tried to play the whole routine that he didn't know what had happened, how he disappeared. Yep. And just of course, like police Walter are very White, skeptical right away. Yeah, <laughs> when he had, exactly. When he had that void state. What yeah, do you call it. Uh, yeah, bo- whatever. Where he like those. wandered off in the desert. Yeah, he for wandered a few off naked in the gas station. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I walked into a gas station naked. <laughs> now, that's how you sell it right there. Now, that does look right. like an insane person. That is how you sell it. But. And so on December 1st, 2007, Darwin walked into the West End Central Police Station in London, claiming to have no memory of the past five years. His wife, oh, Anne, had to really tap into her actress uh, abilities now. Um, his wife, Anne who had sold up her British properties and moved to Panama three months before the reappearance, expressed surprise, joy, and elation at the return of her missing husband. <laughs> I bet. Oh, my God. I bet. Uh, That's got to be so weird. Yeah. So the Dude, UK police... Yeah, years, I mean, meanwhile, they look and they see that Anne's been just spending up this money, living it up, which yeah. is, I mean... Whatever. It, Whatever you got to do to she? distract yourself. Yeah, why yeah. wouldn't she? But now it doesn't look so good. <laughs> um, so the right. UK police by that time had already suspected that Darwin may have not been dead since Anne, despite portraying herself as a broken-hearted widow, took foreign holidays, planned to sell the family home in, in Hartlepool and moved to Panama and transferred large sums of money abroad. 
Um, a police financial investigation had already begun three months prior to Darwin's reappearance following a tip from one of Ann's colleagues, as we mentioned, reconnecting her claim to her husband's life insurance and subsequent immigration to Pam Panama. So the, they were already looking into her, and so they're very suspicious when all of a sudden John just walks into the police station claiming to have no memory of five straight years. Like, where have you been then? What have you been I up know. to? What have you for been five doing for years? five years? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no um, way you live normally and just don't remember anything for five years without going into a hospital, going into a, a social services office, something, to try to figure out some information. Exactly. Just, no, five years, that's some bullshit. Like, if he were to come back after three months, maybe. Maybe now you have a chance. Mm -hmm. But five years, nah. Yeah, yeah and what's, what sparked done. you to go into the police station after five years if you hadn't for the prior four years you know what exactly. was it all of a sudden you think by now you would just have started a new life and just forgotten about your old one yeah you totally forgot about everything if you truly yeah. had amnesia yeah. yeah and so the darwin's cover story unraveled after the the photo that they had taken at the travel agency really came back to ah. bite him. this is where this is where it's concrete evidence that he was lying that she that his wife was lying because the Daily Mirror would go on to publish uh, a photo of the Darwins that had been taken in Panama in 2006, where they are standing together, smiling, happy about their purchase in Panama of their property. Um, yep. Three. And this photo surfaced after member a member of a public search uh, engine searched for the words John, Ann, and Panama in Google Images, and they found the photo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Dude, if it's out there, Google will find it, bro. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my God. That's... Mm. That's and heartbreaking. So, uh, after someone found that photo by connecting those three keywords, the photo was brought to the attention of the Daily Mirror. I'm sure that person that found that photo got a nice little payout from the Daily Mirror. Oh, for uh -oh. sure. It was made uh, public, and then the Cleveland police got a hold of it, and Ann reportedly pretty much cracked right away, confirmed that the photograph was of John, saying, yes, that's him. My sons will never forgive me. So she knows mm -hmm. the jig's up, um, and now they have to pay the piper. It's time. And mm. so the police would then arrest John Darwin at his son Anthony's house. So I guess he finally went to see his son after all these years. Um, you imagine the, the surprise. I wonder if he just knocked on the door, <laughs> son's house, and there's his dad that's supposed to have been dead for the last five years. Oh, I know, right? How does that conversation start? How does that go down, right? So how, at least he had time. Livid. Well, maybe he at just told he... his son the same thing that he told the police, that he had had amnesia. Oh, no, no. I think he told his son the truth. Do you? I would hope yeah. so. Yeah. It's I feel team. like five years five years after the fact, you know you're caught now. You know about the photo. I think, if anything, he's going to his son's house to to alleviate the damage, which Thank at this point is impossible. Yeah, I think it's impossible to try to mend that relationship now, which really sucks because neither one of them did a whole lot of jail time in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, I don't so. know, man. <sighs> See, like, I don't know what kind of relationship that his sons had with him throughout their you know throughout their childhood and up into their adulthood right but like i'm thinking about it like if i try to put myself in their shoes let's say my dad disappears right now you know he's been a great father for 33 years i'm 33 now if he disappeared just without telling if if my mom was part of this scheme and convinced him convinced me that he was dead and whatnot i think after five years i would just be happy to see him and i would forgive him i do but that's because he's a great dad for three. i would i would just kind of like understand like okay well I'm an adult now. You did your part in raising me and making me into a man, and this was done for you. And I would, I would forgive him, but that's that's just me. I would too. I would my relationship too. with my dad. So I don't know. I can't speak. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't the greatest father to begin with to them. And if if he's such a selfish person to do something like this, I could see it's hard for me to believe that he was a great father. But here's the thing, though. I feel like 
I feel like if my dad did something like that, I feel like he would contact me somehow and right. let me in on the loop at least. But by know, doing I, that, you're then implicated, uh, and that puts you at risk as well. That's so true, it's, but damn, bro. Like, Imagine the grief. Like, If you truly think your dad is dead, imagine yeah. what you're going to go through for, for years. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to harbor a little bit of resentment towards him? Right. I don't know. I feel, I feel like you would. Oh, there would definitely but, be some resentment, but I think I would ultimately forgive him. Yeah, well, ultimately, if he comes back into your life, then the only way to move forward is forgiveness. Like, what's done is done, right? But there's still going to be, it's still going to damage that relationship greatly. And like you said, if if John didn't have a good relationship with his son already, it could have diminished it pretty pretty easily. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, so a police investigation discovered that uh, John Darwin had been using a false false passport by the name of John Jones. So they figured all this stuff out finally in an identity that had belonged to the baby in Sunderland who had died in 1950. And upon examining the false uh, passport, police found that Darwin had made several trips to Panama in the past five years. Um, and so everything's unraveling, all they'd been up to for the past five years. And Darwin's two sons initially expressed elation at the return of their father. But as the story unfolded, they issued a joint statement stating that they had felt that they had been victims of a scam and implying that they wished to have never to have no further contact with their parents. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they were basically still writing off their parents. We're done with them. Right. Um, and both jo- both sons reported to have changed their jobs prior to their father's reappearance as well. Um, on December wow. 6th, uh, one of Darwin's sons allegedly disappeared after cl- clearing out his North London flat and leaving a notebook containing coded messages for his girlfriend as, where, as well as directions for her to get to a London City airport. Police emphasized that he was not suspected of any crime, so it sounds like they just wanted to get away from this whole thing. Yeah, yep. Um, later agree. that day, John Darwin was was charged with obtaining life insurance money by deception and making untrue statements to obtain a passport, and Darwin was arrested at Manchester Airport the following day upon returning to the UK and detained in connection with the allegations of fraud. And the timeline of their subsequent uh, charges would go on March 13, 2008, John would plead guilty to seven charges of obtaining cash by deception and one of passport offense and denies six charges of deception and nine of using criminal property. That's weird to me that she would deny um, yeah, I know. at this point. Um, and then on July, t- July 23rd, 2008, Anne was convicted at the Teesside Crown Court, found guilty of uh, helping to fake her husband's own death. John you know was what? sentenced. What's up? I'm sorry. I just want to interrupt real quick. You're talking about the two thousand, the March of two thousand eight thing, where she denied six charges. At that point, she may have been going under the um, influence of her lawyers, probably telling her to, you know, implicate John as much as you can because he's fucked. Like he's the one that did this. So right. I- any way that you can say that you were made to do this or that you were. Uh, you know, told or forced to do this, and it's also possible um, that if she had any commu- communication with John, knowing that they did, they did love each other, that it's possible right. that he told her just, "Hey, just blame it all on me. I'll take the brunt yeah. of it, or whatever." It's exactly. very possible. Yeah, I think he was totally prepared to do that as well, and I think her lawyers were like, "Listen, if if that's what John wants you to do, then that's what you should do." And, and honestly, that, that's the vibe that was... I got from the interviews when you watch the documentary when you see them both being interviewed by police. It's videotaped. Yeah, the vibe I got from both of them was John was taking full culpability. He he Me was too. basically uh, had had sequestered the the whole concept of him being just this scumbag, and he just it seemed like he took that on. Like everything the police asked him, he's like, "Yeah, I did it for my own good. I'm an asshole." Mm-hmm. Basically, meanwhile, yeah. Anne, it seemed like she was trying her best to kind of blame it on her husband. But I, I have a feeling that was a, a pre-planned thing. Maybe they'd even talked about it in years prior. Like, look, if we ever get caught, blame this shit on me. 
This was my yeah. idea. Um, and I don't want you, I want you to be able to be there for our sons still if they're willing. So no doubt. And then also, you know, for whatever assets they have left, it, yes, if that's Anne, another thing. And doesn't get arrested. It would be nice to have her to manage those assets. Someone you trust mm-hmm. on the outside. Yep. Uh, and she ends up using way. those assets because she is given <laughs> granted basically all of their assets eventually when she's released and she uses those to pay back pretty much most of everything she was right. forced to pay to pay well, you, in uh, retribution. Well, you got to you got to think if they had, you know, any brains at all, everything that they bought during this whole 5-year span had to go into Anne's name. You can't mm-hmm. put anything in John's name. You can't put anything <laughs> in John Jones' name. So you have to put everything in Anne's name. So she, yep. you know, she had everything. So I, you could see why they wanted to protect her. Like, that's a smart move there. It's like, everything's yeah. in your name, Anne. Like, you can't take blame for this. Right. I, I get that. I get that. Yeah. yeah, so July 23rd, 2008, Anne was convicted at Teesside Crown Court, found guilty of helping to make her husband, fake her husband's death. John was sentenced to six years and three months at Moreland Open Prison in Doncaster, South Yorkshire. Um, his wife, Anne, was sentenced to six years and six months, so she actually got three months more than him. I know. In sentences. I guess because she lied, bro. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, that's the only thing I can Maybe think they of. figured they, out what they, they, they were trying the to book do. At her. Yeah, they threw the book at her because they're like, well, you, you fucking lied to us for months. Yeah. And John came out with the truth, even though that was their plan. Yeah. Um, it's just hard to argue with that picture she took of him. It's like... This is all we need right here. <laughs> They're smiling, happy, yeah, happy about their purchase they made off the insurance scam they did. Right. Yeah. Ah. So, um, yeah, so they spent their time in prison. Um, John Darwin was released from prison and returned to Seton Carew in July or January of 2011. And two months later, in March of 2011, Ann Darwin was released from prison. Uh, at this time, John admits that he wanted his wife back in a source uh, who was friends with Miss, Mr. Darwin, tells the tells people that, uh, quote, he would have her back tomorrow, and he is quite concerned about what happens to her when she comes out of prison. I'm sure because she has the all of the assets, and, you know, part of it's got to be that as well. He has nothing now, and she has basically everything. Right, right. Um, and he, they both owe a shitload of money for what they've done. It wasn't just prison time. They owed back all of the money. Um, right. And so she has the ability to pay a lot of it back, if not all of her share, and he has no ability to do that. So on April 2014, it was reported that John had repaid just 121 pounds of the 679,073 pounds that the judge had ordered him to repay. So he's really chipping away at it there, 121. Uh, Watch out now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Damn. Um, but wow. as we mentioned, this was all because the assets were in Ann Darwin's name, and by July 2015, the pair had no longer had any assets, having her having repaid a total of 541,762 pounds. Damn, uh, I'd call it even at that point, bro. I mean, they did time in prison, and they have no assets left, and they paid it all back but 100,000 pounds. Like, I know that's a yeah. lot, but in the grand scheme of things, I feel like, they've, I feel like they, they paid. They paid and, for this. And John, uh, you know, we cared. He, you know, he cared a lot about how he was viewed and whether he, you know, had money and all that stuff. And now it's like their names are completely ruined. Everyone knows he's a fraud. And yeah, that's and what so, I'm yeah, saying. I, I do think they've paid for sure. Overall, they paid for this crime, and it was. I don't know. I just don't think it was as treacherous. And they're just the horrible people that the documentary made them out to be. Um, I think they was just in a weak moment, and they saw an opportunity. And they saw what they thought was going to be a victimless crime. I really don't think they ever envisioned the full-scale search that went on for John. I don't think they envisioned any of that. 
um, for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, right. That's that's how we search for people. I mean, all around the world, if somebody goes missing in the ocean, there's going to be a full-scale search. I mean, that's just, that's pretty typical. Exactly. Um, but I, I just think they, they just didn't think it through, man. They just saw that they had an opportunity here, and it was their last chance. And like you said, they were so concerned about the way they looked to the community, um, mm-hmm. what file and bankruptcy would look. But now look at you. <laughs> yep. It's like filing bankruptcy, uh, you would already be recovering. You're already, what, seven plus years. And, you know, bankruptcy sticks with you, what, seven to ten years, something like that? Yeah. I think. And then you and then you kinda you kinda get to recover. So instead of getting out of prison in two thousand eleven, you would have been recovering financially, hopefully, if you made the right decisions um by two thousand eleven or at least got back on track. Um but you're back at square one. So, I, like I said, I think they got everything they deserved. Um, I think they paid for their crimes fully, which is something yep. you can't typically Maybe say be, in a true crime I mean, thing. they're they're assholes, and they they did did some really selfish shit, and uh, they deserved what they got. For sure. Yeah. But maybe we're but, jaded by the fact that most of the, the episodes we do are just like heinous, like like we like last week when we did the Patreon exclusive, we did uh, uh, what's his face? Oh, Rodney Alcala. Rodney Alcala, the dating game yeah. killer, who's just an absolute monster, absolute monster. And so, like going from him to these guys, we're just like, yeah, yeah, they got what they got. <laughs> well, <laughs> faked no, his I death. Mean, they, they, I, they scammed insurance companies, and that's what you get. Yeah, they, they that is what they get. I think they paid yeah. for that. I think yeah. they paid for that enough. Yeah. You know, I, I go easy on the scam artists, especially when the when the victim is like insurance companies and big yeah, companies. Right. You know? I'm like, is <laughs> it really on a large scale? They seem to be scamming them. all of us. They are scamming all of us. That's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, go Whatever. try and uh, go try and put in a claim and actually get what what they're supposed to be giving you when you need it, and see how That's hard right. it is to get it. Fuck, fuck those big companies. Work with little. They companies. always try like, to find oh any God, way yeah. to not pay you any chance they can. That's right. Even though Work you pay them every people. month. Yeah, they're full of shit. They're full of shit. That's why we like to keep it local, keep it small business, like Oh My Gaia, guys. That yes. is where it's at. That's directly helping someone who is directly helping the world by giving us an amazing product that they love to make. Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, there's definitely a scent that would fit your style from vanilla to cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, uh, pear. Pear is a staple. You hear me and Lauren talk about pear a lot. That is a staple now that anyone can get. That is a that is in the lineup at Oh My Gaia. So if you haven't had pear... Guys, come on, get in on that scent. It's a very fresh scent. It's great. Also, we have our very own scent called True Crime Pine. It has our old school first edition podcast logo on there uh, with the mug shots. True Crime Pine, guys. It's like a sweet pine cinnamon smell. It's unisex like most of these scents are. Um, you really can't go wrong. And because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the code CREEPER, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, for 15% off your order. And you can do that at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or oh my Gaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Guys, you won't regret it. Use code word creeper. Thanks, guys. Right on. Let's do some uh, we got some shout outs to catch up on as far as people that have gone and rated and reviewed the show. 
because we did a like Patreon this. exclusive last week. We'll talk about Patreon in a minute, but that's why okay. we didn't uh, put out an episode on the main feed last week. And so actually, we did. We weeks, put out a freeloader episode. Remember for Christmas? Oh, we did. Okay, yeah, I, f- I yeah. forgot about that. Well, did <laughs> you do shoutouts on that one though? For uh, I did not. Re- okay, well there you go. So the last two <laughs> weeks, the people that have gone and rated and reviewed the show, I want to give a shout out to Obsessed Four in Great Britain. Hey, we just oh, yeah. did a case for you. Actually, our there first two here are from Great Britain. Um, and this Obsessed Four CBXO said, love your podcast, funny and interesting, laughing out loud when I'm working. Colleagues think I'm crazy from North London. Shout out. Uh, actually, <laughs> nice. this case was Northeast London, wasn't it? Or no, not London. It was Northeast England. So that's f- yeah, quite a yeah. bit north of London. Right. Um, and then we got uh, Ella Dachi uh, in Great Britain said, amazing, sending freeloader love from the UK. Always look forward to hearing your take on cases which are very well researched and, in- and entertaining. Thank you. Right. And we got uh, Molly McDee in the US said, love the show. Listening, uh, It's like listening to friends and really getting a chuckle when they crack themselves up. <laughs> Thanks for the great show. <laughs> um, then we got Moses148 in the U.S. said, awesome, really awesome. Can help my wife so much at home while listening to you guys. Nice. Oh, and then good, we go good. down to Australia, mate. We got Uh-oh. Mr. Map. Mr. Map1122. These guys are super funny and a pleasure to listen to. It's great content. Glad I found them on here. And Instagram, fire emojis. Yeah, check out our Instagram, guys. Uh, True Crime yeah. Guys, we do. Michael does some really cool artwork for each episode and posts it up there. Up on there. We're very interactive if you you know post uh, about us in your story we repost it pretty much every time if you uh, message us we message back and uh yeah so support on instagram twitter facebook all that stuff yeah instagram instagram is definitely the best way to stay up on news with the podcast though guys Uh, aside from the stories and releases things like that instagram is just where it's at we both are on there too so we frequent instagram a little more often that's right uh, then we got TNC74 in the U.S. A great podcast. Love the intro. Good job. Keeping up the good work. Can't wait for more. Uh, then we got the U.S. We got uh, M. Myron said, great show. Just discovered this podcast and have been binging. Then we got, we're going up to Canada. Uh, we got Murray Cream said, the best, 100%. Taking the time to appreciate the effort and quality of the content the show provides. Love the banter. It's like hanging out with friends and having some awesome, awesome perspectives. I appreciate you boys. You are meant to create. I'll be following. I'm only a freeloader for a short time. Right on. Get up on Patreon uh, there, Murray Cream. Yeah. Then, Lots then of got, goodies awaits. Yeah, that's right. We got Linky Blue in Great Britain. Uh, been listening to Drew Crom Podcast daily for years now, and this is one of the most natural, sincere, well-done attempts to get it right. Oh, I'm blushing. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Oh, right. That is one thing we, we, we are. We are sincere. I think we are very sincere. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and they said, "Don't change for the idiots that complain. You need to be authentically you. Keep doing that. that's that's we know. It, I mean, that's yeah. that's ultimately it, we rem- we never stray far away from who we are. It's no, no. The the more you listen, you'll see we're we're still the same. <laughs> then we got Courtney Sem in the U.S. said, "Favorite true crime podcast. Love these guys. You can tell that they love what they do. It's a great mixture of human and, humor and information, and always keeps your attention. Thank you." And we got Mrs. K Holt. In the U.S., said just discovered you a few weeks back. You're two, you two are amazing. Love the intros. You do talk a lot, but I find it hilarious. Uh, reminds me of my friend and I. Keep it up. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's kind of our job on here to talk. Yeah, <laughs> like what he wants to just sit here and I let think you talk. she means we I talk a we lot no, I know, about not the, the episode <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> no, we talk a lot about no, stuff we're not supposed no, to talk about. No, you know what? Next episode, we'll just sit here in silence. See how you like that, huh? huh? <laughs> oh, thanks for tuning in to True Crime. 
Anyway, see you next week. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little snippet of next week's show. Then we got uh, Katie Brock in Great Britain. Said, I love, yeah, we can, I'm glad we did an England case this week because Great Britain's showing out this week. Good. Uh, said, I love these guys. I've been binging these guys since I discovered them after typing true crime into podcasts. It's so easy going and casual, and sometimes you forget they're talking about murder. Great to listen <laughs> after a day of teaching. Oh, a teacher up in oh, Great Britain. Teacher. Nice. Right on. Then we got KBB510. In the U.S. said, obsessed, always my go-to. You all are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. KBB. Then we got uh, Alayalia. Alaya, Alaya How do you say it. that one? I, I have no Alaya idea. Alayalia. I don't have Alaya one So you're on your own. Uh, I'll just keep trying. Alayalia. In the U.S. Uh, said, I love the banter. So glad I found you guys. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you. Then we got John Gilbert in the U.S. Uh Recommended a case for us, said Paris Bennett. Just heard about this kid. Maybe you all might like the story, and I can, and in turn, I can love the telling of it. Keep up the amazing work, gentlemen. Hope you all have a Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas. Thank you. Yeah. Happy holidays to everybody, no yes, matter what you celebrate. Happy holidays, guys. Um, then we got Mountain Mama 2020 in the U.S. said, Mountain Mama 2020. Love these guys. I listen while I'm at work, and these guys are my favorite podcast. Keep creeping. Yeah, yeah. And one more. All I right. know this is quite a list, but it's been Ooh. two weeks, guys. So, Bonnie Strange. In the U.S., said, great guys, love the music in the beginning of each case. The banter is funny, yet respect, of, uh, respect for the victim. I enjoy listening. Thanks, guys. All right. right on. Uh, that was too much too much love, man. I feel like we're in a... That's, we don't deserve it? Is that what you're saying? I don't know. I just no, feel weird I, about... I know. That's a lot of love. I never, I mean... I'm never good at taking compliments. <laughs> I don't think anybody is. And it's like, it, it's, a, it's a lose-lose. When you take compliments, right? Because it's like, oh, it's just whatever, it's whatever. And then, the, then that, those people get mad. They're like, no, seriously, seriously. And then, like, <laughs> if you're like, oh yeah, but if thank you're like, you, I know, I know. And they're like, this guy's a fucking asshole. Like, yeah, like, if you really soak in the sun of those compliments, and it seems like you're pompous ass. Right, right. I don't, I don't know what you do. I guess you just smile and bow. I don't, I don't know what to do. So, but thank you. Yeah. It, either way, we appreciate it very much, guys. And we're just trying to put out shows that we want to listen to and things that we like. So, in hopes that you will. You know? That's exactly right. So, all right. Is that yeah. it? Um, and if you want more content, True Crime Guys, uh, if you could check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash True Crime Guys, two bucks a month gets you access to the bonus episode we do every month. Right. Uh, one, once out of every four episodes is a Patreon exclusive where you can only listen if you are at least a $2 a month patron on uh, patreon.com. That's right. And guys, those episodes are typically about somewhere around twice as long as a typical episode because of the banter. We don't really hold back on the banter on Patreon. Uh, because we assume if you're on and Patreon, and also we, we you usually like pick it. bigger cases too. Yes, yes, bigger cases, heavier hitters, uh, more well-known serial killers. I guess you could say. Um, yeah, like, we like just did Rodney Alcala last Rodney, week. Yeah, the dating game killer, uh, old Mister Banana. That one was what over two hours long, right? At least, yeah. I think it was yeah. a little over two hours long. So that that's pretty that's par for the course. Now we have done some like you know like Gacy and Bundy and stuff back in the day. That seems like forever ago, but those are like three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Man, those were some marathon podcasting days, weren't they? Oh man, we were talking about that the other day. How like an hour and a half worth of podcasting used to take us what four or five hours uh, minimum, and then like yep. a three a three hour episode would, might would take us like eight hours of like just recording and work and then you also you take breaks you got bathroom breaks you know you get a snack or whatever (laughs) and it just it would take like an all-day thing and um and now we knock out that that included us driving we lived an hour apart too that's true that included an hour drive each way for whoever had to drive to the other person that that given week that's true it was an all-day affair 
But yeah. we've gotten better and better at it, man. Thankfully that we've we've just been consistent with it. And that's that's life though. You know, you've got to stay consistent with anything you're trying to uh, meet goals on. That's right. You know, consistency this, is the like, biggest we've thing. Been very consistent every single week, putting up putting up content, and it gets so much easier. And doing and when yeah. when you're consistent at things, it just gets easier. Well, it's because um, you don't give your well. At least for me, I don't give myself a choice. I'm like, this is due exactly. this day, and th- exactly. I have to do this this day. Like I know on you know 10:30 on Sunday mornings, I'm not doing anything other than recording this podcast. Like that's what I'm doing. I, it's just if anybody's like, hey, what are you doing Sunday morning? I'm like, I'm busy. Like that's just how it is, Dude, last and you night, have to make it a priority to build this. Yeah. So this weekend was my daughter's second birthday, so we had a, a you know more, like everybody, uh, the close family members coming over yesterday to yeah. see her, and we had to you know do all the prep work and all that stuff plus Christmas and everything. So it was a very busy weekend for me. And uh, last night I wanted to give in and just like let's record on another day, let's do something, but I just hunkered down. Yep, and I I got it done because I did like you said did not give myself another option. No, nope. I'm so glad I did because it's, we just got to stay on, got to stay on this path. That's that we're right. On, so that's right. And and the more you stay with it, and, and and don't get me wrong, like I think some people mis misunderstand what I'm saying because I have I have friends that are like, well, you're talking quantity over quality, bro. Like I don't feel like doing it this week. I'm not gonna. I'm like, that's fine. That's fine. But I understand what you're saying, and I'm not saying quantity over quality. I'm saying that you need to be consistent with every aspect of it. So so what takes a quality episode? If if three, four hours of preparation takes a quality episode, then you need to be consistent with your hours of preparation. That's the three, four hours you have to put in. Yeah, that's the hours of preparation that you need to keep putting that out. I'm not saying yep. just just you know, jump on the mic and record a song or just jump on a canvas and just paint a picture. Like you have to you have to prepare for that. That that the consistency and preparation is just as important as the consistency of the output of your content. That's all I'm trying to yep. say. And so. while we're on this, you might as well, let's talk about your other show and our other yes. shows under the True Crime Guys uh, umbrella. Yes, we should. Strange and Unexplained, guys. Uh, if you are into unsolved, missing persons, uh, strange phenomena, um, what else, cults, uh, eugenics. Uh, there's been all kinds of weird stuff that we've covered on Strange and Unexplained. Paranormal. Yeah, a bit paranormal. Of paranormal in there. And we're only on episode like 37. So we're just getting started, guys. But new episodes of Strange and Unexplained drop every Monday. Okay? Unless otherwise specified, but I ain't missed one yet and I don't plan on it. So every Monday, guys, new episodes of Strange and Unexplained. If you'd like to get them a few days earlier on Thursday, maybe you'd like to listen to your true crime guy, guy's content back to back. Wednesday releases of TCG and then Thursday releases of Sandu. You can do that on patreon.com slash podcast. You get early access to every Sandu episode as well as another show that I do on there called Strange Shorts, um, which I am doing my very best to put get that on a regular schedule as well. So again, guys, patreon.com slash snupodcast um, for strange and unexplained content. And then we also patreon.com slash truecrimeguys for all of your extra uh, TCG content, premium episodes, and whatnot. So, oh, guys, also check out our merch, truecrimeguys.threadless.com. There's a link below the description. Go get you a True Crime Guys hoodie, okay? Winter is, winter is almost here. Probably not here. too late to get one before Christmas. That's right. Winter is almost here. Get it. The, the shipping is, is... That's right. Winter is coming. The shipping is, uh, is pretty quick, actually. Pretty quick turnaround on Threadless. So, and uh, good quality stuff as well, guys. We've seen some people already posting their sweatshirts and t-shirts on social media. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. And for also uh, representing the show in public. That goes a long way. When people see those t-shirts, they're like, what the hell is this? You know? 
and that opens up a conversation. So we appreciate that very much, guys. All, All right. right. Are we done babbling? I think we're done. Okay. See you guys next week. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us, cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. Yeah.